This is Alyssa Lenick of Little List Fitness. And I'm Kate, otherwise known as Coach Carmichael. We are PhD students, endurance athletes who lift, outdoors enthusiasts, and entrepreneurs. We believe the narrative of the fitness and wellness industry is often far too extreme. So forget about the black and white messages that you've heard. On this podcast, we believe that life is best lived in the messy middle. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Messy Middle Podcast. This is Liz here, and I am so excited for today's guest. The big secret of today is this is actually our first interview, so no pressure on our guest today, but she's amazing. We know her. She's an OG. She's a dog just like us, so I'm so excited today to have Dr. Rachel Reed with us, and Kate's going to go ahead and introduce the amazing Dr. Reed, who if you don't know her yet, you really want to tune in this episode because she's a phenomenal, phenomenal woman and leader in our industry and has so much amazing insight. So Kate, take it away. We are thrilled to have Rachel on the podcast today because she is no stranger to combating those black and white messages on her Instagram at the.exercise.doc. Some of the conversations she has boldly tackled include exercise as a form of punishment around holidays or celebrations, the pressure to quote-unquote lose the baby weight after pregnancy, the culture of medical and fitness professionals pushing specific diets, stereotypes around looking the part of a scientist, problematic marketing and health trends, the department, sorry, the depth of PhD students, I'm going to just start over, the depth of PhD studies and transferable transferable skills, and so much more. She's here today to chat about all of it. Rachel brings science and experience to the fire as a PhD in kinesiology from our own University of Georgia, and she is currently the Director of Fitness Science at Orange Theory. Hey, everyone, and thank you guys so much for having me. I'm so pumped to be here and talk to you guys today. So today is extra special. So when we were thinking about the first people we wanted to have on here, we wanted to think about the women that are near and dear to our hearts, the people that are truly like trailblazers for us. And Rachel graduated from UGA. She did her postdoc in the same lab as Kate is in right now, getting her graduate degree, her doctorate degree in. And so when we met Rachel, I actually met her like in a very formal academic type meeting. And then that just turned into something really, really incredible that flourished because of social media. And so we're so fortunate to have Rachel years ahead of us to show us that all of our dreams are possible and true, but just how much you can grow and evolve throughout and following your PhD. So Rachel, we are so, so lucky to know you, be your friend, but also have you here. So let's jump in and tell our audience, where does your messy metal story begin and who is Dr. Rachel Reed? (laughs) Well, first of all, thank you. I feel like you were going to make me tear up. I cannot believe (laughs) that that really formal meeting that we had a couple of years ago now has turned into this. I mean, really, you are the person, Alyssa, who inspired me to make my Instagram page and just kind of start being vocal about my story. So I, I feel like this has all come full circle now and I'm so appreciative and it's so cool to be here and talking to you guys. So I think for me, my messy middle really started when I was doing my master's degree, which was also at the University of Georgia. I was in the physical activity measurement lab. So I was learning all about gizmos and gadgets. And that was really when, um, Fitbit was first kind of becoming a thing. So learning about research grade accelerometers and what was also happening in the industry at the same time. And I was so intrigued by the industry aspect of the fitness world, because that was something that is sort of kept behind a curtain when you're kind of going in this research track and you're 
reading all the studies and you're learning how to critically evaluate and run statistics and you have phenomenal faculty. I mean, University of Georgia has a really killer staff, um, really accomplished faculty who have a lot of research grants and a lot of research experience and clout. And so you're sort of like groomed to go this one way, but I started to become really intrigued by what was happening with companies like Fitbit and companies like Nike and their sports performance and kind of started digging into that a little bit more. At that same time, I started teaching group fitness. I had a personal training certification, of course. I got group exercise certified as well and was teaching spin classes. I was teaching Pure Bar. And so I was kind of experiencing a different angle of exercise and actually seeing in real life how the things I was learning about in school could make somebody's life better. So it was this really weird dichotomy between what you're learning and it's this like abstract abstract concept when you're learning about it and then actually going out into the real world, into the fitness industry and applying that knowledge and seeing it work. So it was sort of during my master's degree where I started to see the difference between the two worlds of academia and then fitness industry. And there's a lot of things that are similar but it's almost like the two worlds often don't talk to one another. So I started to get a little bit curious about that. And I actually took a break between my master's and my PhD because I was at this weird crossroads of like, what do I want to do? Like something feels a little off about academia, but I couldn't put my finger on it. Just for me personally, I was like, wait, I love this. And I love the science and the research and I love learning as much as you guys, I think, but I also knew there was something else that I wanted to do, like something different. And I just didn't quite know yet. So during that year, I took a clinical research coordinator position still at the University of Georgia. I just like couldn't get away for some reason. So that year was, was cool because I got to dive into research in a different way. I was helping coordinate uh, a really big research study where we had a clinical monitor. So someone who actually comes in and che- double checks and triple checks all of your work to make sure things are as accurate as possible. And I just think, you know, it was so valuable for me to learn about research and really understand um, how research could work. And that study was funded by an industry partner. So I started to see all of these connections of like, okay, there's academia, then there's industry. And like, sometimes they work together, but sometimes they don't. And I I really feel like that's sort of where the intrigue came for me. And I continued exploring that throughout my PhD. So I kept teaching group exercise for Pure Bar. I actually started working for their corporate team as a consultant. So I really dove in in a different way. I was helping with coach education, helping with media claims, doing interviews to represent the brand, things like that. So really trying to figure out what is the science behind group exercise? Why are so many people loving things like Pure Bar, Orange Theory, when it's kind of the opposite of what you learn in school that people should be doing for exercise, right? So it was this really strange kind of back and forth pull that I felt, and I really struggled with it. And, you know, ultimately I ended up going the industry route, but it took me a while to come to peace with that decision because it is a weird, messy middle. Like you really are groomed to go on this certain path and the people you look up to as your advisors and these really successful faculty members, they're all going one direction. And here I am being like, I could do this, but like, I think I want to do that. And I remember being so scared to tell them and they were all like, 
we knew that, Rachel. Like, duh. We know. And I was like, ah! Um, but you just, you don't know because it, it just felt so, like, different and almost, like, dirty to think I want to do things a little bit differently than other people have. Yeah. And I love that. And I'm assuming if you're anything like us, because Kate and I are in that transition currently, it feels almost a little guilty. You know what I mean? To even think of not staying in the traditional academic trap. Um, but no one reveals that curtain to you. I mean, I kind of discovered the curtain myself and I've just taken Kate behind it with me. But I mean, I can only imagine you in that position where social media wasn't a big thing that you really had to figure that out for yourself. And I'm, I can only imagine... I mean, I can totally imagine how that felt for you. And so it's amazing to see how you've transitioned into that. So so we kind of just covered that, you know, series of events that with academia and like what led you to that. But you, can you tell us a little bit more about your PhD and that journey and how, you know, well, the work you did there and your experience just in academia um, in those four years? And just, I know a ton of our followers just wanted to hear about your experience in your doctoral program and and that, and then how you've transitioned that work into the work that you do now. Yeah, great question. And it's so funny because all of the skills that I learned during my PhD and during my postdoc do transfer directly, but just in a slightly different way. It's almost like I'm just looking through a different lens when I'm applying them now. So the lab I was in was the body composition and metabolism lab. Uh, I studied under Dr. Ellen Evans um, at University of Georgia. And her work and the work of the lab really focused on middle-aged and older women. As you guys know, women are typically underreported in exercise science research. And so it was her, you know, lifelong mission really to represent women in a different way and really figure out, you know, how they are not, they're not small men. They're totally different. The physiology is different. And so looking into that, you know, especially in middle-aged and older populations, I always joke, I, I know like probably half of the older adult population in the Athens area because of our work over those couple of years. But it was so much fun for me because that was a population that I didn't have a lot of experience working with. I mean, in my other life, when I was teaching group exercise classes in the fitness industry, I was primarily working um, more with middle-aged people. Obviously, Athens is a college town, so a lot of college students, a lot of middle-aged. And so working with women all the way up to age 85 and watching exercise literally transform their lives was so freaking cool. Because you would have these women, they were, of course, a lot of them had um, metabolic syndrome, right? A lot of them were pre-diabetic, at least. A lot of them had um, hypertension. They were on all sorts of medications. And then we would put them into a standardized strength training program with a higher protein diet. And you would literally see them over a period of months, you know, come off of medication and start to feel confident and learn how to move their bodies and be able to get up and down off the floor to play with their grandkids. And I'll never forget one of them after she graduated from one of our large scale studies, she sent me an email and it had a photo. I opened it and it was her and three other women from the study. They had become friends because social support is so important for that age group and everyone. And they went on a beach trip and they all had bikinis on. So it's all of these, you know, overweight 80 year old women who had made like this new group of friends, it just really bonded over the fact that like exercise had made such a difference for them. So I feel like my experience during my PhD, I learned so much about research and also got to implement a really, it was a six month long intervention. So a pretty long time intensive. Interventions are not easy. So oh my God. for those listening, 
Yeah. <laughs> Kudos to that. Uh, so hard. Incredible. Um, it was fun. And, you know, I also learned so much from my colleagues in the lab. We had a huge lab team. So there were, I think, eight or 10 PhD students. So we had a, a big team working on several different projects. And it was so funny because when it came time for me to do my dissertation, I knew I wanted to stick with women. But I was like, you know, we have, we've done so much work with middle-aged and older women. And now I really want to focus on the adolescent years because for me, that was the time where I just felt like I didn't know what was happening with my body. I know it's a time for so many girls where they stop being physically active. They stop participating in sport. And so I wanted to dive into that a little more. So my dissertation, which was another intervention, actually focused on middle school girls um, and I took them through an eight-week program uh, where they were actually working on social media. So it was a social media intervention back in like 20, 2015 when those things were like not really a thing yet. They was at the kind of the, the cusp of all of that kind of blowing up. So a social media-based intervention for middle schoolers. That was a challenging age group to work with in all different ways. <laughs> Um, and of course my study yielded like null findings, <laughs> which was like, so I was like, of course, that's what happens for your dissertation, right? But I got really good at answering questions about statistics. And, you know, I think the thing that going through a PhD and a postdoc really teaches you is critical thinking and being able to answer questions on your feet and to know the limits of your own knowledge and also where you should look to find more more knowledge and more information. So I feel like those skills directly translate over uh, to the industry because a big part of my job right now is helping Orange Theory sort through literature and science and especially amidst the coronavirus and everything going on. What is safe for us to say? What is the research telling us about gyms and transmission, right? All of these different research claims I'm able to critically think through. And I actually this morning sent over a literature review to the executive team about masks and exercise. So I'm using all of the skills that I learned, but just in a different way. I love that. I also, I just appreciate, you know, being in the middle of it to hear you look back on your research with like pride and enthusiasm, because when you're in the middle of it, as you know, it's like not super fun. Um, so I, I love hearing that. And um, I'm wondering too, with the, the transition that you made into industry, like where was that pull coming from? What pieces of, you know, working in the industry gave you more of what you wanted in a career that academia didn't have, or maybe, you know, didn't lead you in the exact direction you wanted to go? Yeah. So for a while, I really couldn't put my finger on it. So after my postdoc, I was still sort of battling with what do I want to do? You know, and at that time I was still consulting for Pure Bar, a part-time role, but I went ahead and took a one-year temporary faculty position at the University of Georgia in health promotion, which is an area of study that I really love. I got to teach chronic disease prevention, which is all about health behaviors and how that can transform your life. So, you know, I loved that. But at the same time, my consultant work started to pick up and I could see so easily while I was doing both. So I was kind of living the like kind of professor life and then I was also living this kind of industry life. And I think having both at the same time for that year allowed me to really weigh the pros and cons. And for, you know, 
academia, I knew that if I wanted to go, I was going to go all the way. Like I knew that I was going to fight and go on the tenure track. I knew the sacrifices that would come along with that, especially as like a white female in a very male dominated uh, field still. I knew that that would be so hard to work through and also that it would just move slowly. So the thing about science that I appreciate is that it moves slowly because you have to be careful and calculated. But at the same time, that can be really frustrating for someone who likes to get things done and is really dynamic and uh, task oriented. So I loved the fact that in industry, for example, I could have almost like an immediate impact. I felt like I have all this knowledge from academia that the industry really, really needs and no one is giving it to them. So I was like, oh my gosh, you know, weighing the two, I was like, you know, I'm going to go all in and I'm going to take this industry position and I'm going to ask them if I can transition to a full-time role. And when I asked, they were like, absolutely. And then I was like, oh my God, what did I just do? <laughs> um, <laughs> and all the faculty were like, we're so excited you finally made that decision. You've been struggling with it for years, right? Because they knew yeah. there was just something that was pulling me that way. And, and I really think doing both at the same time is what allowed me to have that final like view of clarity. I was just like, wow, I really want to take all this information and help the fitness industry because they so they need it so much, but there's yes. very rarely that transfer. Mm-hmm. That bridging the gap, which I mean, I think that what's that's what makes us all in our little circle, our little pod, is just like that. That we all want to be part of that bridge. You know what I mean? Especially mm-hmm. for women and the thing. So, and industry and everything like that. So, before we pivot into talking more about your industry career and your position there, especially at Orange Theory, because you are have an amazing, amazing, important job. Um, I would love to talk about that transition and that bridge for you and how you use social media. So you just celebrated a year on Instagram. So congrats on surviving your first year on that app and you do an amazing (laughs) job at um, trying to bridge that gap and using your platform as a way to talk about, you know, the science and, you know, stats and data and numbers and practical application with, of course, I think with all of us, a little bit of truth and sass behind some (laughs) messages that we don't necessarily align and evolve with. So how did your decision, um, how did you come to the decision to bring your expertise to that platform? And then how has your online presence evolved over this year? I mean, we've all been on Instagram for at least a year now, and we know within every year you learn a little bit more about yourself um, and, you know, just teaching the masses. So yeah. 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 So, you know, it's so funny because my dissertation, I wanted to use social media as an intervention and it didn't really work because I feel like I didn't really know how to use social media then. Again, that was like back 2014, 2015, which right now seems like a lifetime ago. And so I've always been super interested in the ability that social media has to take information and get it to a lot of people in a really digestible way. That's what I saw attractive in it, you know, way back when, before I really knew what to do. And then honestly, Alyssa, like it was one of our conversations via DMs. I saw your page. That was around the time when you had like 5,000, 6,000 followers, right? Like you were kind of like a baby page then and you've blown up in the last year, really. Um, And so I remember talking to you as you were like kind of gaining this really big following and you were like, just do it. Like, just start, just try it. (laughs) 
And now that's now that I know you better. Proof that this is actually how I talk <laughs> to people in the real world. It's not just a front. So I'm glad, Rachel, that you listened to my insanity because we're we're so happy that you're doing the work you're doing. So go ahead, continue. Yeah, well, thank you. I mean, I think I just needed that boost of encouragement because it's kind of scary, right? Like I was like, okay, I'll start this page, and I don't know what my friends or my peers from academia or from the industry are going to think. They're going to be like, this is so weird. Why is she doing this? What does she want to do? But for me, I think it was that pull of like, I studied in school for a freaking decade for of college. And then I did a postdoc. And then I had that one year on faculty. So in my head, I'm like, this is 12 years of constant learning about one thing that I know really well. And I feel like it would be such a waste if I didn't share it in some way. So I think for me, it was the combination of like knowing that social media has this power to like get information out quickly. And it's very accessible. Almost everyone has it. And then also just wanting to share everything that I feel like I've worked so hard to learn. So, you know, the first year it was scary. My first post is so embarrassing. I went back and I was like, what am I doing? I think I like tried to use some kind of paint app on my phone. I just had no idea what to do. And then you learn and you get feedback that's good or really constructive and you apply it and you kind of see like what resonates with people and how can you change the next post to kind of have that voice a little bit differently. So for me, I am like a, when I'm writing and I still have, I'm working on this at Orange Theory too, you know, when I'm writing, I'm usually writing like I'm writing a manuscript. And that is really not what people want to read in a caption on Instagram. So I'm still working on how to have that kind of a different, like less nerdy, less like academic sounding voice, but still maintaining the integrity of the science, which is a hard balance. So I think that's kind of where I'm at now is trying to figure out that I know the science, but how can I translate it so it's a little more attractive for like the everyday person to yeah. take it. Well, the good news is I'm pretty sure if your first of anything is good, then you weren't trying. It should be, it's everything's going to be messy. <laughs> You've done a fantastic job since then. I mean, if you look back at the beginning of my page, it's even more embarrassing. I can promise you that. So, I, um, but that's amazing. I mean, I think the, the conversations you're having are so great and so important and so needed. And sometimes, you know, I think it's okay to get a little sciency on people because, you know, they don't have that and that's what they need. So, I think you're doing a fabulous job, Rachel. <laughs> well, thank you. I'm trying. I've got to post more often. That's also, it's hard. It takes a lot of time. That's one thing. I underestimated that so much. Like I was like, oh, this is fine. It's just like making a slide, a PowerPoint slide. I can do that in my sleep. It's really not because it's figuring out how to transfer that knowledge again in a way that's attractive, that also looks nice, which uh, is not really my thing. Um, <laughs> so well, stay tuned for my future podcast <laughs> on automation and systems and creating content consistently. Plug, okay. shameless plug, because I'm really good at that. I, am. I will boldly say that I'm really good at that, but it's a, I treat everything like I do science, which it sounds like you kind of do a little bit with yeah. Instagram too. So that's, that's well in the future podcast I'll I'll break that all down. So I need it. I'll be waiting. <laughs> yeah, no, and I'll be interviewing and listening and writing down notes, right? <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, I'd love to talk a little bit about the conversations you have on Instagram. Um, one of the ones that Alyssa and I clearly relate to is the conversations around transferable skills of your PhD. And I think you you really emphasize like encouraging other graduate students or, or even outsiders to just understand how someone with a PhD might work outside of academia and what that can look like in your case in industry. But I think it also, you know, bridges to other places of entrepreneurship and you know, whatever you, your heart desires. Um, could you talk more about this message of transferable skills and, and what they are and why it's so important that you share it? Absolutely. So I think one of the big skills that you learn throughout your academic journey is critical thinking and translation of complicated information to take like take home points. So what does this actually mean? How can you apply it? So I think that critical thinking piece is something that the three of us probably assume most people have. And let me tell you, they don't. That is <laughs> I don't assume it anymore. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, I lost the naivety about that. Yeah. Well, I guess I hadn't until I made the transition. And, you know, I think that's something that I am so thankful my professors really pushed onto me, right? There's so many classes where I know you guys can relate to this. They're pushing you to really critically evaluate something and not just take it at face value. And that's something that you don't necessarily learn. Especially at that undergraduate degree level. And you think that you get that, but you really, it's a whole different, it's a whole different ball game. A whole different ball game. Are you confused about what supplements you should actually be taking? In a world full of juice cleanses, detox teas, fancy promises, it can really be hard to trust anything. But high quality supplements, when dosed appropriately, can actually help support your fitness goals. And that's why I use Legion. I've been using Legion supplements since the beginning of this year. And after years of never really fully committing to one single brand due to lack of transparency in their labeling, unnecessary fluff, or just reporting things as blends and not knowing what's actually my product, I finally found a solid science-based product line that fits my supplementing needs. Legion's products are 100% naturally sweetened, and my favorite part, they are fully transparent in their labeling, and they use dosages that are actually backed with what the science says you need to be effective and support your fitness goals. And not the least amount you can get away with, and not just labeling as blends, but fully transparently telling you what's in your product and why they dosed it that way. And this is huge, because it lets you know exactly what you're taking and if it's actually going to be effective, and then you can know what's going into your body. My personal favorites are their cinnamon cereal whey. Yes, it tastes as good as it sounds. The mocha cappuccino plant protein. Pulse, their pre-workout, which comes in non-stimulant or caffeinated stimulant based. And Recharge, the recovery blend, which also gives me the creatine I need to move weights well in the gym. Legion offers 100% money back guaranteed if you're not happy with their products. And you can save 20% off your first order today with our code MESSYMIDDLE at checkout. That's M-E-S-S-Y. M-I-D-D-L-E at checkout to save 20% today. You guys are always asking me, Liz, what the heck do you do on your long runs? And Kate has recently converted me to Audible. With Audible, I'm able to combine my two favorite pastimes, running and learning. If that isn't the most Alyssa thing, I don't know what is. I know, right? So Audible has helped carry me many, many miles with audiobooks and podcasts. And the best thing about it is I'm able to download them directly to my phone and listen to them while I'm offline, running through the woods in the middle of nowhere with no cell service. And since I have a reading list approximately as high as I am tall, there's no other way I'd be able to consume so much with how busy I am. That's exactly why I love Audible. I've been a member for years now because I honestly cannot read enough books if I have to sit down to read them all. 
Audible has been a godsend because I can listen to audiobooks while I'm cooking, working out, or walking my pup Rocky, but my favorite way to use Audible is as I'm going to sleep and you guys. I recently found out that Audible has bedtime stories narrated by none other than Nick Jonas and Tony Shalhoub, who you may know as the character Monk. Their voices are like so perfectly sultry and like they really guide you off to sleep. It's incredible. So every month, members get one credit to pick any title, no matter the cost, plus two Audible originals from a monthly selection, and access to daily news digest and guided meditation programs. Dare I say, by no other than the Pete Diddy himself. If that doesn't scream littlest meditation, I don't know what does. The Audible app is available on all smartphones and tablets, and you can download titles to listen offline, anywhere, and anytime. You can start listening today with a 30-day trial. You get one title plus two Audible originals for free when you visit audibletrial.com slash messymiddle. That's audibletrial.com slash M-E-S-S-Y-M-I-D-D-L-E. So I think that's one huge skill. Another one is your written and oral communication. So like, Alyssa, I know you just took your oral comps and you crushed them. I have no doubt. Um, I know you did because you passed and you got a compliment from somebody who you know, really gives compliments. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, um, but those oral communication skills <laughs> and written communication skills, that is also something that I feel like I've been able to take with me. So when I am doing writing or I'm briefing my team on a project that's happening, the ability to be organized and meticulous and communicate that clearly is also something that I, I know I learned throughout the master's PhD postdoc process. So that, you know, the record keeping and the communication is also very important. And then I think the third thing is an innovative mind, you know, in science and to get a PhD, you have to think of a new contribution to your field that you are going to make in order to like earn the letters and have the respect and appreciation from the faculty that are sort of like bringing you up. So that is something that you have to have if you want to go into the industry, because a lot of times they will be looking, they, meaning the company that hires you to you as a PhD, a so-called expert and whatever it is that they've hired you to do to innovate and to guide the direction of a big company. So, you know, in my case for Orange Theory, we got faced with a, a really crazy pandemic in March, as the whole world did. And our in-studio, in-person model was no longer feasible. So I got directive from the leadership team on a Friday, Rachel, by Monday, we will have an online presence. Go. Right. So here I am having to be completely innovative, meticulous, applying the knowledge I know about what people will like, um, how long should the workout be? What should the workout look like? How am I going to get it organized? How will we communicate this in time? All of those sort of project planning and innovative skills I mean, I'd use all of those over that weekend to get that stood up with my team. So I think there are so many transferable skills, and this is not something that I learned about while I was in school. I mean, a lot of faculty, you know, if they don't have that industry experience, they're not sharing industry experience with you. So it's something you have to like learn on your own, and it's really confusing. But I want to encourage people that have had that little thought in the back of their head to, to really dive in and ask the questions and try to network with people who have done this alternative path because the stuff you're learning in school is so highly valued in the industry. 
It's just something that people don't know about. Yeah. So I love that you said that because I joke all the time that I learned everything that I know about business um, from doing science. And I think a lot of graduate students especially really underestimate that, you know, you feel really negative about your research and the work you're doing and producing, but you don't realize that these skills that you have, like outside of your little academic bubble where you're only surrounded by other self-deprecating grad students and experts in their field, is that like these are really highly valuable skills that you're highly trained in and that people want and you just have to convey that you have them, but you don't even know that you have them because no one's ever, no one's ever told you. It's, it's kind of like your PhD all over again, where you have to figure that out again. So I would love to build on that, but also merging into a little bit, you gave us a little bit of in uh, a snippet into like what you're doing, but I would love to chat more about what your role is at Orange Theory Fitness. And can you explain in more detail is like what exactly it is that you do and how you use these transferable skills specifically in that, because I don't want to butcher your title, but you're like essentially the scientific coordinator or something along the lines of that. You can give us the yeah. one there, which is a huge, huge position at a huge, huge, huge <laughs> player in the industry. So I cannot down, I will not downplay that, Rachel. I will not let you downplay that, but I would love <laughs> for you to explain what you do and how important you are there at Orange Theory Fitness. Oh my gosh. Well, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's crazy because I sometimes will have imposter syndrome, right? If I get an assignment or a directive, I'll stop sometimes and be like, um, do I know it? Can I do this? Am I good enough to do this? Like, can I pull this off? And I always have to check myself and I'm just like, yes, you went to school for freaking ever. You know, everything about exercise that you could possibly want to know. Of course we can always keep learning, but you're ready. Like you can do this. So I have to pump myself up sometimes, but my role, <laughs> so, um, my role as the director of fitness science is, is I say it has like three buckets. One, um, my team designs the workouts for Orange Theory. So all the variations of the workouts that are taught in studio that are now delivered online. We have free content out for people right now. Um, and, and a lot of things that we're designing behind the scenes. So my team it has a couple of exercise programmers who have backgrounds in exercise science or related fields who actually program the workouts. So that's one big role of the team. I, I help guide them, make sure the workouts are as scientifically sound as they can be in a group exercise setting where we also have to entertain people and keep them motivated and coming back. Okay, so there's that balance, right? There's the push and the pull. So that's one huge role. Um, a second part of my job, I would say, is science communication. So I work really closely with the brand and marketing team to make sure Orange Theory's message to the media, um, to members, to the franchisee network is as scientifically sound as it possibly can be. So a lot of interviews, um, idea brainstorming, different projects, just to make sure we're always portraying the science and staying as true to the science as we can. That's a really fun part of my job. And that's the part of the job that I'm constantly writing literature reviews to to give them, right? If we're, if we're hiring a writer to do a story about getting back at it for your fitness routine, I'm providing them resources and references and walking them through what that should look like. So that's a, a really cool part of my job. And then the third part of the job is innovation. So, you know, in order to stay at the forefront of boutique fitness, which is hyper competitive, especially right now, we have to always have things in our back pocket that we can launch when the time is right. So that's that innovative spirit that like planning ahead, thinking a little bit differently 
kind of seeing what other brands are doing and, and matching or, or beating that in an orange theory way. So that's also a, a really cool part of, of my job. So day to day, it looks different. There's a lot of um, meetings, a lot of team collaboration. Orange Theory um, is a franchise business as well. So we serve our franchisees. We have about 1,400 locations globally. We're in 24 different countries, so nine different languages. It's been, you know, a whirlwind of an eight months, but I've learned so, so much, and I feel super lucky to be in this role. Yeah, so building on that, um, I see this a lot. And so Regis, as I've talked to you about, worked at the Orange Fury here in Athens before he started his PhD. And so (laughs) I went to a few classes. I got a little more insight onto it because obviously Regis is getting his PhD in exercise physiology as well. So like he kind of understands those things. He talked to the actual people coming in to train. And I've brought my group fitness classes there as like a fun, free thing to do. And so I've gotten a little bit of taste of which Orange Theory Fitness is, which is cool to like have actually have that like firsthand experience. And I feel like a lot of people in fitness and academia and the industry have very mixed opinions on Orange Theory fitness and just honestly all high intensity functional training or group yeah. fitness that's like quote unquote hit that isn't hit you know what I mean and so you know my lab obviously as you know and my personal fitness falls more into that high intensity functional training realm and then orange theory fitness kind of crosses over with that but I feel like it gets compared to that but also the mixed opinions of how people portray the workouts without actually having experienced it maybe some misinformed opinions on it and then misinformed opinions about the science they use so we talked briefly before the podcast but how epoch was a foundational pillar of that and how that's been phasing out and so you know, how, what would you say to the people who don't have a good understanding of the science behind the workouts and the actual intentions of Orange Theory Fitness versus what it's portrayed to be by maybe those who just have judged it before they've actually gotten to know it? Yeah. So, and this is something I get to talk about a lot and I really enjoy talking about it because before I took this job, I had similar concerns, right? I grew up in academia and I learned from the same people that you guys are learning from in school. And so I had a really similar school of thinking, honestly, where I I wanted to dive in a little bit more and get to know the workout before I said yes to taking this leap of faith and taking this position and moving to Boca Raton, Florida. So I would say, you know, Orange Theory is a circuit-based class. There are three sort of stations that you go through as a member. There's a treadmill station, a rowing station, and a floor station where there are benches, dumbbells, where there's TRX, BOSU, just a couple of other um, tools that we can use on the floor. So there's three stations. You're going to go through them. Every class, you'll get to experience all three stations. And once you're done at one station, you rotate to the next station. The treadmill block of class uses variable intensity interval training. So we've been very clear to, to steer away from using HIT because Sometimes certain protocols are true hit, but by and large, it's just variable intensity interval training. Um, It might vary in length from a 12-minute treadmill block for the shorter classes to about 20 minutes of treadmill work where you're doing higher intensity work and then you have walking recoveries, right? So you're letting your energy systems partially recover before you charge them again. So that's that metabolic training aspect there. And then in the rowing, we, we sort of mimic that. Um, rowing does a a pretty good job for a lot of people in the public of teaching them how to move well. Rowing is a foreign thing for many people when they first start Orange Theory. So our coaches 
have gone through a, a lot of training on how to coach rowing form. It's definitely not a movement that most adults who are seeking help from a group exercise company have experience in. So it's something that, you know, it's pretty low impact. Actually, very, I think it's very low impact activity. It uses most of the muscles in your body and it can be really good for training um, endurance. So it's sort of a, a unique modality to Orange Theory. And I think the benefit of it, in addition to keeping people interested, is that it, it really, if coached well, can help their biomechanics and help them learn how to move well in a coordinated way. Because a lot of people, especially if you're starting to exercise for the first time as an adult, um, lack coordination and basic movement patterns. So rowing is a really cool tool if you use the right way to help people with that. And then on the floor, you know, we um, have four different types of days that we program for. So we have endurance days, strength, power, and then a mixture, endurance ESP days, endurance strength power days. Um, so it kind of depends what type of workout we're programming for. You know, I think the thing to remember is that if you're having 15 minutes of dumbbells and a bench, it's not true strength training, right? But it is helping somebody who otherwise does nothing except potentially move their body by walking or doing some wild jumping around swipey workout video on Instagram. It is helping them with basic movement patterns. So we actually program the floor um, strategically throughout the month. The team has like a monthly calendar. We program, is it endurance, strength, power, or ESP? And then we also program, is it a, a lunge focus day? Is it a hinge focus day? Is it an upper body push pull? So there is strategic programming based upon when we know members are likely to come in, right? Because not everyone's going to come every day. Not because of that, you can't do a true, a true progressive overload base program for every single person because people are coming in and out all the time, right? So it's this balance of how can you maximize that time that you have on the floor and teach people the basic movement patterns they need to be a functioning adult and prevent injury with how can you also keep them entertained so that they start to like moving their body this way and hopefully get them to stick with exercise. So I think, you know, there is a, a good amount of science that goes into doing what we do. And then there's also this balance of we have to make sure the coach can be successful in delivering it because as you might imagine, Three groups of people exercising at the same time is a dynamic environment for the coach to be able to manage well and to provide education during. So, so all of that with the fact that, you know, for group exercise, we know a lot of people report that they lack motivation, they lack accountability, and those are big perceived barriers to exercise. Group exercise can break down a lot of those barriers. And that's what we see with our members. Our average member comes in twice a week. I think people think, Oh, Orange Theory wants their members to train seven days a week with HIT, and it's totally overtraining. And really, our average member comes a little less than twice per week. Um, our average member is a female in her 30s who has two kids and is juggling a full time job and a spouse and life and lots of other things. So, for the average member who's coming in and, and making Orange Theory part of their life, it really can be a good addition to whatever else they're doing movement wise. I love hearing about like who your typical member is and and 
hearing you mention pieces like enjoyment and reducing barriers to exercise. Because I think when when people first go to criticize a type of group fitness course or like, you know, system, they they want to say like, what's the science? What's the science? What's the science? And they're only thinking physiology when yep. that's one piece of the puzzle. And I know that, and also, you know, you did your postdoc in my lab. So I know we share a lot of the same <laughs> um, ideas when it comes to exercise psychology and, um, you know, barriers to engaging in exercise and exercise behavior change. And so could you highlight those pieces a little bit more about like how science outside of physiology comes to play in the shape and structure of Orange Theory Fitness? Yeah. And this is making me realize I totally forgot when you're asking me about my job that I also manage our medical advisory board because we recently onboarded, I'll, I'll link it back around, but we recently onboarded a neuroscientist. So she's got her PhD in neuroscience and she's also a comedian. So I think you guys would love her. She's so funny, um, but she's super smart and her expertise is, is in behavior change specific to health, health behaviors. So I think you know, we do our best to equip coaches with information about how behavior change actually happens. So we do a lot of continuing education with the coach network so that they have this built-in support system to then support the members who, whom they're coaching. So I think, you know, exercise psychology does definitely peak its way in there. We also have recently started to provide more information about nutrition. So pre and post workout, what should you be consuming to um, elevate your performance or recover more efficiently. So, you know, I think one of the, the differentiating things about Orange Theory and one thing that drew me to this company is that there is a big investment in wanting to stick as true as, as closely as possible to the science that we know is going to help people change their behaviors, right? So it's it takes time to establish behavior changes, you guys know. And so we're doing everything we can to kind of keep our members for longer. Right now, we know the average member sticks with us for about eight months. So what can we do to get them to nine months, to 10 months, so that it's a sustainable behavior for them? Is, you know, do we need to manipulate the dose a little bit? Should we give them some kind of hybrid digital product where they have um, a really easy thing to turn to when they can't make it into the studio sometime because they have a conflict. So what can we do to help them um, make this a sustainable thing long-term? I think that's something that's really different about Orange Theory and, and the direction that the company is is working towards. I love all that because I think that I think a lot of people who aren't as immersed in our fields as us kind of are like, and even I'm like a stickler to like using science as much in my training as I can. But I do a lot of that stuff that you're talking about with my clients because it's like, we're working with humans, not robots. And I tell that to people all the time. And we're like, yeah, there's a more optimal way to do something. And if people eventually down the line, their goals get more specific. Yes. Let's move them towards that more optimal goal. If you want to be a powerlifter, you're not going to go to Orange Theory Fitness. But we have to remember that Besides maybe that small percent of the population that has, has those hyper-specific goals, most people just want to move, not get sick, and like have a little bit longer and better quality of life. And I think a lot, a big part of becoming in this field is humbling yourself and thinking, well, everyone should do this. Well, our most basic goal should be how do we get people to move and not hate it while they're doing it? And I think Orange Theory, from what I've experienced, they do a great job at that. I mean, of course, there's people who abuse any mode of fitness, right? Um but you, that applies to everything, I think. And, you know, you can you can point fingers at any one mode of fitness. But the goal at the end of the day is you guys are getting people's heart rates up. 
very important. You're getting some sort of load on their body. Is it the most optimal for certain goals? No, but it's, it's there and they're coming in. So I, I love, I love all that from the more stickler strength person. Like I, I wanted to chime in and add that. Cause I think a lot of people think I'm anti OTF and I'm not anti anything, right? Like I'm anti context, not moving. Um, yeah. In not moving. Yeah. Yeah. Anti yeah. Not moving. yeah. 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 And, and that's exactly when people ask me about that, you know, could somebody meet their goals by doing progressive overload strength training with a coach four days a week? Yes. Is the average person whom we've identified as our member going to do that alone without social support and accountability? Probably not, which is why we are where we are. So there are a lot of people who rely on sort of the exercise psychology aspects of group fitness to keep them moving, literally. Yeah. No, and I love that we see that that balance too, like not only in your role at Orange Theory Fitness, but you bring that, you know, multiple areas of science in, you're an exercise physiologist, but you bring exercise psychology and public health and, and many different domains of science into your space on Instagram. Um, could you talk a little bit more about how you kind of came to, you know, pick f- from a little bit of everything and blend these different arenas of science into how that shapes recommendations that you give on your page to the general public. Yeah. So my undergrad, I actually did a double major in exercise science and in psychology. And I actually wanted to do straight psychology and had a conversation with a faculty member that was like, you might not want to do that unless you want to go all the way through school. And at the time I was like, I don't want to go all the way through school. I guess I'll add something else too. So I added (laughs) exercise science. And I think I learned that they really need to go hand in hand, because if you're looking strictly at the physiology, you're, you're missing out on the human piece that Alyssa, you were just referring to, right? Because you have to have, you, you need to know a little bit about both in order to actually get someone to sustainably move. And so that's, that's why I love those two together. And then public health, I honestly just stumbled upon it during my master's program. I remember I needed more credit hours. So I took a health promotion class and I was like, this should be easy. This will be fine. And then I was like, wait, I actually like really like this because it's talking about movement. It was talking about physical activity, about health disparities. And that was really the first time where I learned about the fact that different groups of people are more likely to have certain, you know, unfavorable health outcomes. And I was like, what? How did I not realize this? Right? Like the only disparity I really understood decently well at that time was the fact that women were typically underrepresented in exercise studies. That was really like the only thing I knew. I didn't realize so much was happening with racial disparities or, you know, how income impacted different health comes. I just didn't know. I had no exposure to that. And so I started to really want to incorporate that too. And I always, um, I feel like I was the quote, like public healthy exercise physiologist of my cohort, because I always wanted to go a little bit more like that route. And so I don't know. I just, I think all of the pieces need to blend together and that physiologists and exercise scientists should be exposed to public health because that's how, you know, public health is how we're actually going to make a big impact, right? Intervention studies are super important, but they typically influence a very small amount of people. So if we actually want systematic changes, we need to understand public health on a different level as a field. And so I think that that, um, that's, that's sort of 
why and how I, I fit all of it together in my brain. And it's really cool that I get to do this on my page, but you also see me like struggling of like, which angle should I go? Because it's all over the board. So, so I'm working on it, Alyssa, and I need your next podcast to help me. <laughs> well, I'm here to, I'm here to always help, but I, I, I completely agree because that shapes, I mean, I think a lot, especially, you know, with 2020 as a whole with COVID and all the conversations around racism and just everything has uprooted this talking about, Hey, there's more than the bubble of which maybe we think about when we're doing research or educating people or talking to people. And I think, it, you know, I think I wish more of our programs had more of that teaching component. Like how amazing would it be if we all had to take a public health class as part of our curriculum? So yeah. we're like, Hey, even if you're going to sit in a lab for the rest of your life, like these are the people that your research is impacting. So let's make sure we're asking these questions that actually can help the people like you who are working, you know, hands-on in the field. So I love that. And I, I, I completely agree. And I've definitely had many humbling moments in my academic career, career as well, where you're like, oh crap, no one's ever taught me this. This yeah. is a deal. Why yeah. did I even know this? Yeah. And I know <laughs> I'm like in my cohort, I'm the female phys girl, but underneath it all, I'm like, there's so many other things that I like wish I could a- ask questions for, but I have to get out of here. So, um, <laughs> yeah. so speaking of PhD and academia, Something that, you know, I think we all can resonate with, but we really want to like talk to you because I know you emphasize this a lot and you've talked about this many times and I love this, is that to share your perspective with our listeners about your what a scientist looks like and the biases and stereotypes of that message and like how you've, you know, you've brushed up against that in your journey and how you're working on changing the narrative in that, in this niche for, I mean, we we are three female scientists on this podcast, which is really powerful, but a lot of people, (laughs) you know, they don't. When you, you know, they think of scientists, they don't, they don't think of us. And I love that you're pushing. Old white male in a lab coat. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Old white male in a lab coat with like crazy hair. Like, like uh-huh. Albert Einstein, something like that. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, this is something that I feel like I've struggled with and you guys can probably relate starting in the masters all the way through. Right. Even like family and friends. I remember Christmas break, people would be like, what are you doing now? I'm like, I'm still in school. They're like, I don't get it. You don't look like you would want to be a scientist. And it's like, what does that mean? Like, what does that even, honestly, what does that mean? Is it because I'm only five foot one? Is it because I'm like a small person? Is it because I have a squeaky nasally voice? Like, what is that? What do you even mean? And I feel like, you know, it's because we all have this bias. We have this like vision of what a scientist should be. And it's something that is so, so interesting Because I feel like it's something I'm fighting against even in the industry world where I might set up a meeting with somebody via email. And then if we get on Zoom, which we're all like so accustomed to now, freaking Zoom meetings all the time, they might be like, oh, Dr. Reed. And it's sort of like, yeah, like, what did you, what were you expecting? I mean, what do you mean? Is it because I have a top knot and like pink lip gloss on? I don't know. So Right. But I think it's just, it's knowing that a scientist doesn't have to like look one way. They don't have to speak one way. They can still be an actual person. I feel like it's sort of like when you're in middle school and you saw your teacher at the grocery store, you'd be like, they go to the grocery store. And it's sort of that same thing. It's like a scientist could be an actual person or like a scientist could be a mom. That's something that I didn't even really know was possible, honestly, growing up in academia, because there aren't that many female scientists that I was exposed to that are moms, right? So it's this weird, like, bubble of an identity. And I feel like I'm just, like, trying to, like, break that bubble, break the ceiling, like, every chance I get. And I'm so glad you guys are doing that with me. Well, I think especially, I mean, you are mom, we are not. um, And I think the biggest thing is, like, 
I've learned, I, I did f- female specific research and pregnancy research and like all this amazing research on and with women with my master's and was mentored by women. And that was incredibly transformative for me because I went into my master's program and I was like, whoa, the powerhouses of this department and the research they're doing are women and women focused. And I just like, I gained so much more respect for moms because all of my committee members had babies while I was there wow. and we were doing pregnancy. It was just like, and so it was rare. just- it was, I, I was it, about to it, say the same. <laughs> yeah, this is incredible. And it was such an amazing environment. And like, I don't know, like it it just, I think that is was such a pivotal thing in my PhD. And I think that that was like the first time I, where I was like, wait, you're not supposed to just hide the fact that you have a family and interest in life and kids. And like, I think that was a very rare department, but it was a blessing for me to see that. And I love that like your mom and you have a two-year-old son, which we didn't get to talk to, to you about much <laughs> on here. And like you crushed your, your job, but you're an amazing mother and a scientist and a communicator and you have interest in hobbies and you wear pink lip gloss for God's sake. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. You do all this. And so, you know, I'll Leslie nope you to the end of the day because that's what I do. But I think that's like incredible to sh- that you're showing that in your page and you're like, Hey, change that idea. Like we, yeah. like it's, it's not like, 1920 anymore like av hill was great but like we women have risen up since the start of that <laughs> no one else make that joke like you guys but it's like it's, it's so necessary and so important and so you know we look up to you but i'm so happy to see you just paving that and saying like hey you can be in the industry you can be a mom you can look different you can show up late you can be indecisive you can have doubts and like you can still be a woman in science so yeah crush it Rachel sorry I didn't mean to like go on a Rachel fan club (laughs) tangent I feel like like, I'm ready to like go for a run I'm like (laughs) heck yeah oh my goodness okay so there's so much that we would love to cover with you like I wish we could talk forever and ever and ever um but we can't so (laughs) before we wrap up this episode is there anything that we've like left unsaid that you would like to share with our listeners before we close I feel like you know, I want to encourage people to think outside of the box. That's something that I really fought for a while when I was living in the messy middle of academia and the industry. And so if you're, you know, if you're feeling that pull, I would say, listen to it, explore it. Like you don't have to do what other people before you have done. You should want to do something different. I think that's awesome. I love that. Okay. So This is our first time doing this. I'm very excited. At the end of the episode, it is time to play this or that. So while we truly believe that life exists in the messy middle, for the sake of fun and irony, we're bringing it back. (laughs) We would like to close the show by forcing you to rapid fire choose between contrasting things. So today's this and that items, (laughs) oh boy, um, were specifically selected for you. There will be 10 rounds. And Alyssa and I are going to alternate throwing them at you. Rachel, are you ready? I think so. All right, Alyssa, you can start it off. Orange or blue? Blue. Go heel. (laughs) (laughs) Netflix or podcast? Podcast, for sure. Enneagram or Myers-Briggs? Ooh. (laughs) That's a hard one. I like the Enneagram right now, but I loved Myers-Briggs before. And you're an eight, right? I'm an eight. I'm totally an eight. Yeah. yeah. I remember that surprised you because you were like, you're nice. You're, you you're so nice. nice. You're just no. such a healthy eight. You're no, really the staff between both of you. No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Go ahead, Kate. <laughs> Online or in person? In person. Science fair or debate team? 
Oh, totally science fair. Oh my God. Yeah. I, love, I love being a science fair judge now. That's a thing you can do if you're <gasps> like, if you're a scientist, you can do that. And it's awesome. Oh my God. I love that. Okay. Slow down or speed up? Speed up. Always. Mm. Neat or smart? As in smart mm. goals. Yeah, you know, the acronyms. All, all the way. Neat <laughs> always. <laughs> Beaches or parks? Beaches. Yeah, I knew that one too. <laughs> yeah. Candy or cookies? Candy. I love sour candy. Like I'm almost always eating sour candy. Always. Yeah, same. I can, mm-hmm. I can get down with that. Yeah. <laughs> okay. This is this last one. I already know the answer to too. Mug or thermos? <laughs> oh, a mug all the way. I, I something about having the lid on it. I'm just like I can't. Okay. I I, I just want to commend <laughs> you though because you drive around with an open mug, and I am I am just a clumsy person. I spill my coffee like walking out the door before I even get to the car. Like I'm so impressed. <laughs> Yeah, well, my car is a mess, so I don't know about that. <laughs> so, okay, maybe you are on my web link because, one, I have a spill-proof thermos, and I still spill my coffee on myself. And, two, I just cleaned my car for the first time in 2020. So Rachel and me are on that same <laughs> web <laughs> link over here. Totally. Kate's like, no. <laughs> mm-hmm. I okay, can't. Okay, well, Rachel, thank you so much. You're incredible. I already ranted and raved about you. I'll, I'll spare our followers and listeners the, the, uh, <laughs> the Girl Crush Fest again. But if you guys love today's episode with Rachel, please make sure to follow her. We'll link everything in the show notes where you can find her on Instagram. Um, she's incredible. Please give her a follow. Listen to what she has to say. You know, we could not speak highly enough of her today. And so also, if you enjoyed this episode and this interview, please don't forget to rate and review and subscribe and download. Please, if you can do that, all those things, we appreciate you so much. We will pick a review of the week on Instagram and I, Little List Fitness, will give you a product for free of your choice. So make sure you leave your review and download and subscribe so you can win some free crap. And so leave your IG handle in the review or send us a screenshot at the Messy Middle Podcast to be entered in our weekly giveaway. Yes. And Rachel, I didn't prepare you for this, I don't think, but we have a sign off every week and you're going to help us out. Okay. Um, Yes. Perfect. Okay. So you guys remember that we want you to live well, demand better and stay messy. You did so good. I love that. Rachel's better than both of us. Amazing. Oh my God. Amazing. You like crush the enunciation on that and everything. Oh, I don't know about that. Oh my gosh, that was so fun.